It won't be long. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt looks. Fires toward the end zone. Passes. Caught for touchdown by Matthew Butler. Speak to. They are who we thought they were. And we let them out the hook. I get out of hand. Just, just tell me I'm a jerk and shut up. Let's go scatter the West right tight. That's left. 372 Y sticks. He's The Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, how am I going to go to college? I'll just play football. Hey! What up? Nothing like a little breaking news in the middle of April in the Southeastern Conference, eh? Nothing like it. Well, I have uh, what appears to be just a... Hold on. Yeah. Breaking news. I'm Matt Brokaw. Uh, yeah, Roger, where? I mean, this this popped up just all of a sudden, boom, and now it's all over Twitter. Joe Oliva, athletics director, LSU, expected to step down from that position as early as today. Wow. Wow is right. Is he caught up in this coaching thing? Yes. Yes. The initial report is coming from a site that is called businessreport.com. It is the Greater Baton Rouge Business Report. Oh, that's where I get all my news, yeah. <laughs> They're on top of it. Sarcastic. The National Enquirer of Baton Rouge. What did we say it was going to be cynical Roger? <laughs> C- cynical, sarcastic Roger. There he comes. Greater, The Greater Baton Rouge Business Report. But Roger, you know what's crazy is how does a how does a local thing like Baton Rouge Business Report get a web URL that is simply www.businessreport.com? Boy, you talk about hitting a home run in the URL yeah. category. Yeah, I wonder if that uh, IT guy gets the credit he deserves for securing that <laughs> in an early stage. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I know. I know. I don't. <laughs> I, I managed to get several four-letter <laughs> domain names. You try that. Cynical Roger <laughs> has made his weekly appearance. That was great. Somebody, if y'all are listening in the building, Jake, somebody go in there and tell Roger, thank you for the work he has done in securing the URLs. Dad Gummit. <laughs> You know, like, like, man, you probably, you don't live for uh, affirmation, but it doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah, it does not hurt. I, I tell you, I I am very uncomfortable with, what did you call it? What was the word? Affirmation. With affirmation. I'm very uncomfortable with it. It makes, I don't know what it is, what it is about me, if it's insecurity or what, but anytime somebody like compliments me, and is like overly nice and says I do a great job or something, a lot of times I find myself not knowing how to respond and then which is uncomfortable. And then also sometimes I'm skeptical. Like what's the motivation? <laughs> wow, <laughs> you know, you're worse you're worse you're more like beaver than me. Isn't that terrible? Isn't yeah. that terrible? The thing that I don't know how to respond to, Roger, is when people are so nice and I appreciate it. I do. I really do appreciate it. People are so nice because they'll say, hey, man, I, 
I listen to you on the radio. Well, what's the proper response to that? Roger, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I listen to you on the radio, that's their way of saying, hey, I like you. Hey, yeah, I'd, I've been turning like, the radio off. I'd like you to know that I listen. But when they say to you, I hey, usually say, oh, shucks, man, I'm sorry about that. Uh, well, again, I'll, see, there's I'll not try a, to do better, man, since you're listening. I mean, I just say, ah, oh, thanks. Yeah. But it's kind of like. No, but, you know, if you, since, if you give sincere compliments to people, then you'll be able to receive them. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you're going around just propping everybody up, slapping them on the back, then it's not going to be much to you coming your way either, right? I think there's something to that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Let me get back on track here because right now we're supposed to get Brett Hudson on the yeah. phone here and chat to a little spring football in Mississippi State. Let me give you the details. It's breaking right now. At least this is a report. It is a report from the Greater Baton Rouge Business Report. LSU Athletics Director Joe Oliva expected to step down, perhaps as early as today. He's been in that position for more than a decade. This is, according to them, a high-ranking source within the LSU system has told the Daily Report. LSU officials declined to comment. It says, though Aleve is coming off one of the strongest seasons in years for its football, basketball, gymnastics, softball teams, among others, the embattled athletics director has been an unpopular figure among fans and, most importantly, boosters since failing to fire football coach Les Miles in 2015 to ink a deal with Jimbo Fisher, now the head coach at Texas A&M. More recently, Oliva drew fan ire for suspending men's basketball coach Will Wade, who was caught on an FBI wiretap investigating a recruiting scandal. Wade was reinstated earlier this week. While details of Oliva's expected departure remain murky, Sources say a deal is in the works to replace him with a nationally recognized leader in university athletics. That announcement is also expected in the coming days. Aliva, 65, came to LSU in 2008 from Duke University, where he had served as an athletics director. He succeeded Skip Burtman, was chosen for the position from among four finalists by the president at that time, John Lombardi, and interim chancellor William Jenkins. Let me just put that out there. Um, Replace him with a nationally recognized leader in university athletics. Mark Emmert, currently the head of the NCAA, uh, used to work in the athletics department at LSU, right? Isn't it sort of kind of still home for him, isn't it? I'm just saying. Hey, look here on the Divini Equipment phone, Divini Equipment, Madison and Jackson, your Kubota dealer. It is Brett Hudson on Twitter, Brett underscore Hudson. He's a part of the team at Matt Wyatt Media and uh, does a great job in all aspects. He's got some cool written stuff, too, at mattwyattmedia.com. Brett, I uh, just got this on Twitter. I'm seeing where they're saying that LSU Athletics Director Joe Oliva expected to step down. Have you seen that? You know, I, I didn't until I got on the phone with you. I just got out of the shower. I'm about to head to campus for some some baseball interviews i i have not seen that my my opinion of joe oliva soured back when the whole hurricane thing happened with them and florida and that football game and acting as if that home football game was somehow lsu's birthright that was granted to them by the 11th commandment sit down by the lord um (laughs) so my my opinion of joe oliva soured pretty quickly at that point in time um so I can't say that I'm 
terribly disappointed at um, at LSU changing their athletic director, but it does make for an interesting hire because, I mean, when is the LSU head football coaching job not interesting, yeah. right? No matter who mm-hmm. is holding it and how good they are or how bad they are. Right. Then there's the Will Wade situation, and, I mean, Paul Maneri, I mean, he's not going to live forever, right? So right. you're you're eventually going to have to hire the man after the man at, at that point. So it's a, it's a fascinating athletic director opening for sure if it does end up coming down. How about that? Well, and, you know, you've had this whole Will Wade thing where wiretaps come out, they suspend him, he doesn't coach the postseason. Fans are irate over it. They think you should belly up, chest up to the NCAA in any shape, form, fashion without some type of proof that's laid down in your lap. 37 days later, Will Wade and his lawyers finally come to the table to interview. I guess it took them over a month, 37 days, to rehearse their answers. They come, they give answers. LSU reinstates him so as to avoid any lawsuit to go, okay, well, if until we have this hard proof in our hand, we got to reinstate him so we don't get sued. And so now it makes a leave a look bad. You know, but I'm not sure. Brett, what do you think about this? I'm not sure any of that makes him look worse than I felt like he looked when he gave, upon hiring Ed Ogeron to be the football coach at LSU, he gave him a $10 million buyout. And as one person said it, I think it was Russ Mitchell at the time I heard him say it, and he was right. Less, I mean, uh, Ed Ogeron would have crawled across the table and eaten glass to get the job. And you're giving him a $10 million buyout? So some of the decisions have just been head-scratchers for Oliva at LSU, I think, from the get-go. you agree? Yeah, that, that never made any sense. As, as seemingly all of college football Twitter was screaming when – when those contract details came out, who are you protecting yourself from when it comes to Ed Orgeron? Like when, when you have a Nick Saban or uh, even to localize it, a, a Joe Moorhead, like you're protecting yourself from the NFL or for, from Joe's uh, standpoint from Penn State, right? If, if that job ever comes right. open, that Pennsylvania is home for him, maybe he might be enticed. But at LSU with Ed Orgeron, you're not really protecting yourself from anyone or anything mm. with him. So there's no there's no reason to make it that hard. Now, maybe Ed Orgeron just has like a fantastic agent or LSU just does stupid things in negotiations or maybe a, a combination of the two. But, yeah, that, that never made sense. The whole Florida hurricane thing never made uh, a, a ton of sense to me. They've, they've done a few things that have piqued my curiosity, and I'm, I'm curious what the next athletic director wants to do there, how they, how they want to stabilize something. And, and not that this is a, an unstable athletic department like on the Baylor scheme of things or, or even Ole Miss with their football problems or Missouri with what they're going through with the NCAA right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like they're unstable to that degree, but it's never it, – it hasn't been easy at LSU, at a place where it could very well be easily with with some stability. So you wonder if uh, if the next AD is able to make things easy. Yeah, that's right. And then, and then I also wonder if there if it's a plausible thing where after 
you know, with the NCAA, meeting with Will Wade and his lawyers. They kind of feel forced to reinstate him. Oliva knows what's going on. He's like, I'm out of here. I don't want to be a part of it anymore. I think that's also feasible. Brett Hudson on your radio right now. Let's talk uh, Mississippi State spring football. Just had the spring game last weekend, and uh, you took it in. It's a glorified practice, but you've um, kind of covered it. You saw all of it. What was your big takeaways after watching the maroon and white game on Saturday? Well, I thought, uh, you know, the drops are, were talked about and quarterback play was, was talked about. But honestly, I thought this spring as a whole, it, it accomplished – what it needed to accomplish in that you got a lot of reps for guys where you needed to get reps. And the two positions that I looked at the most are defensive tackle on the inside and then safety uh, on, on the deep side. A defensive tackle, Braxton Hoyette and Jeffrey Simmons were, were your two best players there. They're both gone. You even lost a couple of the second stringers that, that mm-hmm. rolled through. Corey Thomas comes to mind. And you registered four guys at that position last year. And you don't have a ton of uh, upperclassmen there. So you're probably going to lean on – well, you're definitely going to lean on inexperience, and you're probably going to lean on young inexperience for, for a significant uh, percentage of your, of your snaps at defensive tackle. So getting those guys as many reps as possible was, was a good thing. And as much as you would rather have Kendall Jones on, on your defensive line – for, for spring practice, his injury opening up more reps to some of those freshmen, your um, your Devin Robinsons, your Jaden Crumities, your Fabian Lovett, that that even that even helped a little more. And then at safety, moving Jaquarius Landrews and Marcus Murphy back there, I think that's smart. Uh, a lot of a lot of defenses go with their best five there, like they find their five most talented defensive backs and try to put them out there out there positionally as best as they possibly can, as opposed to fitting position by position in a rigid depth chart kind of manner. And and those reps for, for those two, uh, Marcus Murphy and Jacarius Landrews at, at deep safety, they, they help a lot in, in that regard. You would hope that the fruits of that labor are seen in the fall, and that's where the the one thing we can't really evaluate is is still to be determined, which is offensive development. You know, I think I think Joe Moorhead recognizes that that wasn't the entirety of, of his system in year one, I think everyone, myself included, I'll, I'll throw myself on the sword for it, probably underestimated how different the Mullen offense and the Moorhead offense were. Mm-hmm. Uh, St. Church, different pew, true, but uh, as Joe Moorhead would say, but I think those pews were a little farther away from one another than than we all realized. Uh, so we, I don't think we saw the entirety of the Moorhead scheme in year one, and the spring – a big priority for the offense would be to get more of the scheme, and if not all of it, and that's something we won't really be able to evaluate until mid-October, late October. So it's not not necessarily fun conversation-making, but, but that's the, the reality. I thought spring accomplished what it needed to in getting key positions, reps, and now we have to wait until October to see if spring and preseason camp accomplished what it needed to on the offensive side. Brett Hudson on your radio. Follow him on Twitter, Brett underscore Hudson. You know, and I look at the numbers of players that are hand-in-the-dirt defensive tackles that are not going to be defensive end-type players, and I wonder, Brett, if it doesn't lend itself to being a 3-4 team next year where you have – you can mix and match – 
but but less often you have two true defensive tackles on the field, and that would be a departure from last year's team. Have you have you heard anything about that? I have not, and that's actually the first time I've I've heard anyone suggest it, and it makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't personally know Bob Shute's track record in terms of running a, a three four, but the four two five. They ran last year was obviously very, very good, and he's been good at running the four two five in his past. They have the linebackers um, to run a three three. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that way you could put Leo Errol, Leo Lewis, Errol Thompson, and Willie Gay on the field at the same time. You also wonder if that would uh, give some promising freshmen like Aaron Brule uh, a chance at a little more playing time than yeah. that four two five. My Tim Washington's also in that mix too. Uh, in, in any case, you're going to have five defensive backs in your in your base just because it's college football in 2019. No, I I hadn't heard anyone suggest uh, three uh, three three five or three four inside the program. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's something that that comes up in the fall, or maybe they uh, evaluate their spring practices in between uh, now and preseason camp in late July, early August, and and entertain. That thought, but no, I hadn't heard anything about three three five or three four out of out of the program in, in preseason. And everything they ran in the spring was was four two five. So they're, I'm guessing their their hope is to develop yeah. that depth in the interior of their defensive line quickly. And and if they are a little bit weak there, to mask it with one, how awesome and deep they are on the edge of the yeah. defensive line at end, and two, with just how good their linebacker play is behind them. To, to, kind of recount what Joe Moorhead said at one point during the spring. It's not lack of talent, it's lack of experience. That was his phrase, and his hope is they can develop enough experience through practice reps and early season game reps to have them playing up to an SEC caliber by the time those games actually come around starting late September. Good stuff. Brett Hudson on your radio. A couple of three minutes left here, Brett. The the young tight end, Aquarius Spivey, he just has that look to me like, you know, you go out, you watch practice, you watch spring game, and every time he runs by you, you have a tendency to go, man, who is that? I, I just feel like his upside is through the roof, and I, I think he could be a big-time player over the course of his career. What do you hear about him? Yeah, he's a very interesting prospect, actually, because with the tight end room being what it is at the moment. You have Farad Green. To me, he's your he's your definite number one. You have Dante Jones behind him. And then third is is an interesting battle because um, they had Christian Roberson transfer out of the program going to Charlotte uh, over the offseason. So, and, and Brad Compass was limited in his spring reps because he's busy hitting 300-something for the baseball team, as one does. But he's, he's a pretty interesting prospect in that regard because he could be a third tight end type and state used three tight ends last year they used justin johnson they used farad green they used dante jones and they used them in different packages at times to accentuate their strengths obviously farad green's a fantastic run blocker so you would mm-hmm. use him in situations that show that that skill set but i remember watching Aquarius Spivey back when he was in high school. Uh, he was at Richmond High School on the outskirts of Monroe, Louisiana. And honestly, he was a better defensive end there, in my opinion, than, than he was on, on offense. They kind of mixed him into some offensive stuff because, you know, it's a relatively small school, and when you have a talent like an SCC caliber guy at a school like that, you put him on both sides of the ball, you get him on the field 
however possible. So that that part of his game is kind of raw. Uh, mm-hmm. He started his career on the defensive line and developed offense later on. So I think there's some untapped potential there for him. And as he fights with the other uh, tight end in his signing class, Brad Cumbus, you wonder if the probably seven or eight spring practices that Spivey got that Cumbus didn't because he was playing baseball ends up playing a factor there in the fall, especially in those scrimmages. Uh, those scrimmages happen on Saturdays when, when Brad is obviously busy with with baseball, so Spivey got got a lot of those reps. But to answer your question, he he is an interesting prospect. He's someone that it wouldn't surprise me one bit if he was seeing some snaps in in the fall, and maybe not first team necessarily, unless their injuries are are a unsuspect, unexpected, fantastic fall camp performance. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if he were on the field at all. And as a redshirt freshman, you would you would get to see a, a pretty good bit of him for for the future of state. Good stuff. Brett, I really appreciate some time. I know we get uh, baseball to talk about. I'm going to make sure people know about the podcast and uh, your writing over on the website as well. And I appreciate you here on a Wednesday morning. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. That's Brett Hudson. Brett underscore Hudson on Twitter. And Brett really does a lot of great written content, too, over at mattwyattmedia.com. And he's got a piece coming out later this week that uh, I think state baseball fans, you're really going to find it interesting. So uh, follow him on Twitter. Make sure you know when that link comes out. Rolling along later in the show, John Cohen, Athletic Director, Mississippi State, on your radio. Stick around. Knock him out, John. Speaking of John, John Cohen, Athletics Director of Mississippi State, coming up later in the show, if everything goes according to plan. It's a qualifier in there, an if. That's coming up. Uh, breaking news in the state of Mississippi. This is, um, I mean, I guess that you decide uh, how significant you think this is. I mean, it, to me, it seems like a pretty significant thing. It is not sports-related. Well, actually, it could be. I'll just tell you what it is. You decide. A um, tweet from Emily Wagster Pettis. She covers politics for the Associated Press in Mississippi. You know, and I hadn't previously followed her. I'm going to follow her now. Somebody I do follow retweeted this. But she is the AP reporter for politics in the state of Mississippi. Listen to this. I mean, I'm serious. Listen up, everybody. Listen. According to her in the Associated Press, the Mississippi governor has signed a bill authorizing specialty license plates available to you with the Stennis flag. It is a proposed alternate state flag without the Confederate battle emblem. How about that? Hmm. What do y'all think about that? You know, we were talking about how that flag may be the reason that the 
Lady Bulldogs had to go out to Oregon to play that game, hmm. right? Yeah. Well, and for sure, it's why you're not going to host any awarded um, postseason stuff in the NCAA is because of your state flag. And I think Mississippi is the only state remaining with a state flag that still has, you know, Confederate imagery. At one point you had South Carolina, I want to say maybe Georgia, and all those have been changed over the years. And there is a John Stennis connection. Sure, yeah. His granddaughter Okay. put this out. She's an artist. Okay, so she did the flag, the the design. I have heard about it. I'm not sure that I actually I... like it. really looks good. Have you seen it? That's what I'm saying. I've heard about it. I don't think I've seen it, though. Okay, so imagine uh, two vertical red bars on either side. Mm-hmm. And then in the center, a star. And I don't know how many, a big star, a blue star on a white field, and then surrounded by stars. And I'm sure there's some significance to how many they are. I haven't yeah. read that much okay. into it. But yeah. Okay. It's a good looking. It kind of reminds me of some of the early American flags. Okay. All right. Like from the colonies and stuff. Yeah. Colonial days. Yeah. All right. So um, it's interesting. <clears throat> I guess put that, um, there's a lot of people out there. Um, a lot of people. I wonder what it is. I wonder if it's a majority of people in the state of Mississippi in 2019. You know, years ago, they supposedly had a vote. But it was kind of a convoluted process. Uh, that was many, many years ago. You're going on two decades ago. So now you sit here in 2019, and um, I wonder if, in you know, in actuality, a majority of the people in Mississippi would prefer you know, the Stennis flag to the old one. I think uh, some people automatically just are negative towards the idea because they see it as kind of a slippery slope. And I mean, yeah, well, it's ridiculous, you know, but I, I understand. Yeah. You know, that I think that's, you know, reality and perception and that, but you've got, if you do think that way, just think about it, you know, kind mm-hmm, of sure. try to come at it new and see what you think. You know, that's my thing. I, I have always kind of looked at it, through the I've tried to look at it through the eyes of reality and <clears throat> you know just look right around you wherever you live um you know where I live in Tupelo I got neighbors who are African American families who nobody would expect them to fly the current state flag on their house right I, I wouldn't dare expect them to do that well this is already yet, made the Washington Post yet We'll sure as heck take their tax money, won't we? Yeah. Um, so that doesn't make sense. become a national story, by the way. Here it is. Mississippi governor signs bill authorizing specialty license plate with the Stennis flag, a proposed alternate state flag with the Confederate without the Confederate battle emblem. All right, cool. I may get me one of those. I've got the Mississippi state tag, and my wife has the old Miss one. And even though neither of us are like, Neither of us are the kind of fans where we just diehard hate the other school completely and want it to burn to the ground. We're not that kind. It's still a little uncomfortable for me to drive her car and for her to drive mine. <laughs> I would admit it. People wondering why the why is that, that the drivers acting responsible? <laughs> hey, by the way, yeah. there is a significance that there's the big star and the uh, it's surrounded by 19 smaller ones. That's 20 in total for the 20th state of the union. Oh, okay. So it was the 20th state. And 
I, I know the day. I always have trouble remembering the year. I want to say it was 1817, but it was December the 10th. And I can always remember that because when Mississippi became a state, because it's my birthday. <laughs> I share the birthday with the state of Mississippi. That's my claim to right. fame. And Jack Crystal. Jack Crystal was also born on uh, December the 10th. Yeah. So there's that. Hey, I wanted to mention this. And then we got John Cohen coming up in less than 10 minutes. Video surfaced on Twitter. Video surfaced on Twitter of a pitcher for the Mets last night. Noah Syndergaard caught on television undoubtedly wiping something as he got the ball to ready for the next pitch, wiping some substance from the 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 heel of his glove onto the two fingers of his pitching hand. Okay? He catches the ball. Video, national television, clearly catches him on video. He takes the ball in his pitching hand, his right hand. His glove is on his left. He puts the ball in his glove up in the webbing, and then as clear as day, takes his two fingers, his pointer finger and his bird finger on his throwing hand, first two fingers, and clearly wipes some type of substance onto the fingertips of those two fingers from the heel of his glove. Rubs them around on there and then tries to kind of hide as he then grips the baseball. Folks. Have skin conditioner. Without question, you can't watch this and debate whether or not Noah Syndergaard, this pitcher for the Mets, he looks like Thor with the long hair. You cannot debate whether or not he's putting something on the baseball. Vaseline. Petroleum jelly. Heck, for all I know, it could be Bama jelly. He's putting something off his glove onto his hand and rubbing it on the baseball prior to a pitch. No question about it. 100% fact. Watch the video. I retweeted it earlier today. It's a fact. But here's my question for you Is it cheating? <laughs> I know it's supposedly against the rules. Here's why I ask you That's substance abuse. In football, we let receivers spray sticky stuff on their hands and on their gloves to help them catch the ball. We can do that in football legally. Then why is it illegal for a pitcher to put some Vaseline on the ball when he throws it? What's the difference? There is no difference. Yeah, it's against the rules. He did it. Watch the video. He did it. But my question is, why can't he do it? Well, your sticky stays on your hands. His slicky gets on the ball. Oh, stays with well, affects the play after he just released the ball. We're splitting hairs now, though. <laughs> we got to. Don't have that many. <laughs> John Cohen coming up. Stick around. The Matt Wyatt Show.
All I'm saying is that Noah Syndergaard, without question, in my opinion, without question, put something on his hand and put it on the baseball in his glove. My thing is, what's the big deal? In football, we spray sticky all over our hands to gain a competitive advantage to catch the ball. Why can't a pitcher put some Vaseline on his finger? Jackson Mailman texted in and said, the substance is used to make the ball move in an unnatural manner, thus making it harder to hit. Well, in football, it makes it easier to catch in an unnatural manner. What's the difference? <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Here we go. Divinity Equipment phone, Divinity Equipment, Madison and Jackson. A treat today for you to wind it up with John Cohen, Athletics Director, Mississippi State, on your radio Right now, John, I'm just going to go ahead and assume that you don't want to comment on whether or not Noah Syndergaard is throwing the ball with Vaseline on his hand last night. <laughs> you know, that's one of the great things about this this wonderful sport is you always have had, I mean, from the beginning of time, you've had these arguments about, you know, scuffing up baseballs and, you know, putting substances on baseballs or corking bats. You know, I think it's just one of those little Little subtitles that makes the game a little more interesting. Sure. It definitely makes it interesting, especially when we catch it on video. Hey, it's pretty interesting following Jake Mangum's chase for an SEC record right now, isn't it? It sure is. You know, just so proud of Jake. And, you know, let's not forget, Jake has had the opportunity to sign a professional contract several times and decided Mississippi State was more important to him. His teammates were more important to him. How often does that happen, Yeah, you know, in today's world? Um, and, and he's very deserving. You know, people say all the time, Matt, they're, you know, they're like, well, you know, this record, you know, it's for people who play four years instead of three, you know, Will Clark and Raphael Paul, all the great ones who only play three. And my thing is, Hey, you know, in order to set a record like this, you got to be good the minute you step on campus. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to be good as a freshman to set a record like that. How many people step into, uh, the, the limelight as a freshman and win an SEC batting title and get a ton of hits. So he, what he has accomplished here is incredible, and uh, it's going to be really fun to see him uh, him break this record. Right, it is. And, and to those people, I would say, well, try breaking an SEC record playing one year of your career with a broken hand, which he did. You know, so absolutely, um, yeah. He he's played with several injuries and. The thing about that kid is he shows up with his lump, lunch pail every day and he gives a great effort, whether it's practice, games, whatever, and he represents Mississippi State the right way. Yeah, he does. John Cohen on your radio right now. John, I got an interesting email in my inbox uh, from uh, Bill Martin and the guys, and it's letting me know about the new, the brand new John Cohen podcast, your namesake podcast where you're interviewing uh, alumni and CEOs and former athletes and everything I can subscribe. I've already subscribed on iTunes. First of all, congrats. And tell me a little bit about what it is, what this podcast that you're doing is, and what I'm going to hear. Yeah, you, you know, I just love podcasts, first of all. It's, it's not for everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that, but I love podcasts. I'm on the road a lot. Um, you know, I'm running and, and listening probably, you know, like several people do and yeah. I just love the stories, Matt. I, I just love hearing um, that David Abney, the, <laughs> the CFO of UPS, you know, talking to a man who has 480,000 employees, <laughs> a man who was loading a truck in the Delta, you know, 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, just, just those are the kinds of, uh, of inspiring stories 
you know, that, that are just incredibly interesting to me. And, you know, it's a, it's a selfish thing. I, I love, absolutely love talking to these people. Uh, and we just happened to hit the record button at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And did I see that the first one, it includes Fletcher Cox and Darius Slay, a couple of football guys? Yeah, that was fun. You know, we had them back for a basketball game this past year, and they, it was just so much fun to talk about those guys. Everything from, you know, Fletcher's obsession with drag racing, mm. you know, which I didn't know about. Uh, the fact that you know, he was a sprinter in high school, I, I didn't know about that. <laughs> uh, but the relationships he had with his high school coaches, his guidance counselors, it's just all those things were incredibly important to me because, you know, we're all on this journey, Matt, and, and just figuring out how those people get get to. I mean, we when you talk about those two names, I mean, I, I, you can't say with certainty, but there's a case to be made, made that those two football players, you just mentioned Darius Slay uh, as an example, might be, as a corner, uh, a cover corner, the best at what he does in the entire world. Mm. I mean, think about that, man. Yeah, yeah. So... You know, I mean, we, we're so fortunate to have these folks around and, and to be able to get information from them and have fun, you know, talking to them. It's just a, a blast. Yeah. And uh, if you're listening, uh, John Cohen on your radio, we're talking about, uh, we have a his podcast. It's from the Athletics Department. It's the John Cohen Podcast. You can subscribe to it right now wherever you get them. And uh, he's interviewing alumni, CEOs, business owners, uh, former athletes, successful people. It's really an interesting deal and you can uh, subscribe right now and get those john it's an interesting day and time that we live in now isn't it It, if you want to compare it to 25 30 years ago in terms of marketing a school marketing an athletics department just kind of marketing the benefits you know now you have so many things at your disposal including social media which including podcasts and things that didn't even exist for the Larry Templetons of the world 25, 30 years ago. It's just an entirely different um, toolbox you have now. It, it is, but you know what? We're, we're, we, we, in my mind, we are very successful at Mississippi State right now in all facets because we have one of the great presidents in the country in Mark Keenum, but we're very successful in athletics because of people like Larry Templeton, because mm. of people like Scott Strickland, because of people like Greg Byrne. You know, I feel a great deal of responsibility. This baton has been handed off to me, and I got to keep this thing, you know, moving in the right direction. And, you know, I, I did a presentation just the other day that was called The Best. You know, you look at Mississippi State right now, there's an, you know, again, there's an argument to be made, and, and there's 27 slides worth of information where we have a ton of athletes who are performing among the very best mm-hmm. in the entire country. And, you know, it's just everything from, you know, uh, Peters, our, our, our javelin thrower, has the best throw in the world. You know, our, in softball, we got thunder and lightning. You have Mia and Fa. You know, one of them has 22 home runs. One of them has 20, 20 home runs. I mean, it's one of the best one-two, if not the best one-two combination in the country in softball. You know, what can you say about baseball? Mm-hmm. you got a Friday night guy who's striking everybody out right now. He's among the best in the entire country. I think we have the best center fielder in the country. We had the best defense in football in the entire country. We might have three first-rounders, which might be the most in the entire country. We'll have to wait and see how that plays out. Mm-hmm. Just so many magical things happening on this campus, and it's not by accident. It's because our coaches have worked extremely hard, and it's because we have a passionate fan base that has supported this entire department. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it really is kind of 
full front there with uh, baseball and, and fans who are going and and seeing the new ballpark and enjoying it. And I've heard some people. I heard somebody say um, at the game last night that they've been to a bunch of games this year, but every time they come, it's like coming back for the first time because it's so new. People are really enjoying that ballpark, aren't they? They are, and we wanted to do it the right way. We want to do everything the right way. But baseball is one of those unique environments where we can put a lot of people in. And, and quite frankly, it's one of those sports that can create revenue for the entire rest of the department. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, don't, I don't say that in an arrogant way. I say that in a way that we've got to do things differently at Mississippi State. And if we're one of the few schools that create revenue off of a sport that others can't, <laughs> we need to be able to do that to support all of our sports because we want to be good in everything. Yeah. John, I really do appreciate it. Um, we're looking ahead to this weekend, Jake continuing the chase, and I'm going to continue to let people know um, on my social media and elsewhere how they can find and subscribe to your podcast. And I'm glad it's out there. Good on you for doing it, and we're excited about it. Thank you. A lot of fun. Thank you, Matt. Enjoyed it. All right. Thank you. That's John Cohen, Athletics Director of Mississippi State. So it's just called the John Cohen Podcast. I find it interesting because you as a fan um, – are going to um, find it interesting those conversations. You know, you sit down, you talk with a. He's talking with, you know, the, the CEO of UPS or Fletcher Cox, who's the highest paid defensive lineman in the NFL, and those kinds of things. So, an insight, probably some conversations you may not hear elsewhere. And a lot of those people, they are so incredibly busy that access to them is not just free and abundant as well. You know. Um, I interviewed Fletcher a bunch during his college career. At one point towards the end of it, um, that recorded an interview with him and you know exchanged text to line it up. And his first year in the league, I had a couple different times where I reached out to him for interviews, and he'd message me back and say, hey, man, I'd love to, but yeah, I got this going on, I got that going on, I'm having a hard time finding the time. And after a bit, I just kind of stopped bothering him. Because you know those people. You think about what he said. Did he say? Did he say, a hundred and sixty something thousand employees, or was it more than that? That he said, at UPS. I guess it would be more than that. You know, you're running that size of a business. You know, access to them is pretty limited too. But when the athletics director of your alma mater calls you up and say, "Hey, I got this project we're working on. I need to talk to you for a podcast," that carries a little weight, you know. And you grant that interview, so. He's probably going to have some access to some of those people that are hard to get access to. So I'm excited to hear what's in there. Glad to let you know about it. All right. That'll pretty much wrap it up for the Wednesday show here in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau. And they'll prove it if you give them a chance. And I will see you tomorrow, same time, same place. See you. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show.